Thanks, Joe. Well, this morning is the, the first Sunday in this season of Lent. And Lent is that 40 days before Easter where we are reminded anew of the sacrifice of Jesus, where we spend time reflecting on, on what that means. It's a time of repentance. It's a time of uh, being reminded of our mortality. It is a time to remember the great cost that our sin has cost, uh, not just us, but the world and the brokenness of the world. Of course, Lent began actually on Wednesday before, on Ash Wednesday. That's that first day of the season of Lent. And on Ash Wednesday, we, we put the ashes on the forehead and we say, remember from ashes you came to ashes you shall return. Repent and believe the gospel, just as Jesus was saying here in Mark, repent and believe the gospel. And then on Ash Wednesday, it was a great service. And then after the service, we read through the entire gospel of Mark. And, uh, and that was fun, actually. Uh, there were four of us up here reading, and it was a great time to read through the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, and I would encourage you during this season of Lent, to, if you haven't done that already, to, to take some time to try to read through the whole Gospel of Mark in one setting. Because during this season of Lent, we're going to be looking at Mark's Gospel, uh, what I call a, a divine mystery. And, and we're going to be spending time each week kind of going through the Gospel of Mark. Now, in reading the Gospel of Mark, it was meant to be read in one setting. It was meant for you to sit down and just kind of absorb the whole thing in, at once, uh, to go through it. Now, we can't do that on Sunday mornings because we don't have time. But, and we're going to take it kind of a little bit at a time and looking at these major themes. But, but Mark is, reading Mark is like reading a love letter. You know, you wouldn't take a, how do you read a love letter? You start at the beginning and you just read the whole, through the whole thing. You don't dissect little sections of it, but you, you just read through it. And that's, that's the way Mark has written this text. And, and what I think is uh, pretty amazing is Mark is the first gospel, most likely, that was written. Uh, and in its writing was created a whole new genre of literature, that thing we call the gospel or the good news. And we have four gospels. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so with Mark writing this gospel, it was unique when it was written, the first of its kind. It was unlike anything written before it in the first century. And so what made it unique? See, we have other biographies from the first century. We do. We have many. But, but Mark is different from any other biography because it's, it's not just biography. It's narrative theology. It's a, a biography that was written to show you who God is. It is narrative Christology. It is, it is expressing who Jesus is in God. And, and it wasn't written to give you good advice. It, it wasn't written to give you good principles of living. It's not even written to give you good insights into life. That's not its purpose. Its purpose was to give you Good news. Here is good news. Its purpose is not something to be sought out, but rather someone to seek out. Jesus. It, it was written to people who already knew the basic story of who Jesus was. People like you and me. Uh, but it was also written in a way that is, is dramatic. 
like a, a good mystery novel or a play, and the action just it, it just keeps going on and on and on. You'll read the word immediately 18 times. Immediately. And, and that's why I call it this, uh, it's a divine mystery, because this little book is forcing you to make a decision. You're meant to wrestle with the story of who Jesus is and how you will react to his life. Throughout the story, you'll see Jesus interacting with different people. And most of them get a glimpse of who Jesus is, but they don't really get who he is and why he came. Will we get who Jesus is? That's part of the the divine mystery of this story. And we'll get back to that in in a moment. But but first, I want to give you a little bit of other background on Mark. The book was most likely written by a man we know as John Mark from the Bible. John Mark was a missionary with Paul. If you remember the story, Paul and Mark had some disagreements. Do you remember that? And they broke off, and one went one way and one went the other way. But later on, we read that they actually reconciled. And so that, we like that. We like the reconciliation part. And Mark was also a companion with Peter. The apostle. In fact, the early church historian Eusebius quoted from Papias, who lived in the late uh, first, uh, early second century. He, 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 quote, he said this Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately all that he remembered, not indeed in order of the things said or done by the Lord, for he had not heard the Lord, nor had he followed him, but later on, as I said, followed Peter. So here we see that this early church historian is t- telling us that, that Mark wrote based on the stories that he heard from Peter. These are most likely Peter's recollection of his time with Jesus. All these stories. And as, and as uh, it was said, it, uh, he didn't necessarily put them down in the exact order, but to make a point, a theological point, show, showing these stories, how important they were. But here's my, my, my favorite quote that talks about Mark and his writing. It comes from a document from about 180 A.D., And I just kind of pick up in the middle of a sentence. It says this, Mark declared, who is called stump-fingered, because he had rather small fingers in comparison with the stature stature of the rest of his body. He was the interpreter of Peter. After the death of Peter himself, he wrote down the same gospel in the regions of Italy. Stump-fingered. How's that for a nickname? I don't know, but something about reading that just kind of makes me like the story even more, or Mark even more. Here's this ordinary man with these stumpy fingers writing an extraordinary narrative of our Lord Jesus. It kind of makes it more real to me. I don't know. Reading that just kind of it makes me smile. Here's an ordinary person. God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And so here is Mark most likely taking Peter's, all these stories he'd heard throughout his life from Peter, writing them down in a gospel. And as we look at the book, uh, as you're reading through the book, I want to kind of give you a couple of different thoughts on, on how you can read it. And, and it can be divided in a couple of different ways. Scholars are not united on how Mark is di- divided up. But, but they are united around the thought that Mark was very intentional in his writing. He, he, he wanted it to be a gripping story that, that we could latch on to. The book can uh, easily be divided uh, into two halves. And the and this two broad sections. Section one being, who is Jesus? It's asking the question. And that's chapter 1 through 8.30. And, and then the, the second part of the, the book is, is, why has he come? 
So we see this, we're starting out, who is Jesus? And we see all these stories, and then why has he come? And, and this is what we have to answer as we're reading through Mark. Reading Mark with this in mind, we kind of see this pivot, this key verse right there in the middle, uh, 8, 29, and 30. This is when, when Jesus is asking the disciples, he says this, but who do you say that I am? And remember, Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about it. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's the question Jesus asked his disciples, and it's the question we are being asked as well. And, and the rest of the book of Mark is, all of Mark is trying to help us unpack the meaning of Messiah or Christ. What does a Messiah or Christ mean? What kind of Messiah is Jesus going to be? Because the disciples don't understand what Messiah means. Remember? Because what happens to Peter right after this? He says, you know, Jesus then tells him what's going to happen. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 no. And Peter and Jesus says, what? Get behind me, Satan. We also see throughout Mark this, this idea, this spiritual realm going on. Uh, and, and it is also showing us that, that any understanding of Jesus that is in conflict or differs from what tr Jesus truly is, is satanic. Here Peter says, you're the Messiah. In the next verse he says, get my, behind me Satan. Because he doesn't have a proper understanding of what Messiah means. Anything that is not lined up with who Jesus is and his character is not from Jesus. And we see this throughout the book, these confrontations of Jesus with the spiritual realm. This isn't just a human conflict, but a very spiritual conflict that has cosmic implications. Now, there's a second way to divide the book as well. And instead of two halves, it's kind of like three acts, like a great play or, or drama. And with a, with a prologue on the beginning. And so we see this. You have the, the prologue, chapter 1, 1 through 15, which uh, Joe just read for us just a second ago. And then Act 1, Jesus in Galilee, which is uh, chapter 1, 16 through 8, 26. And this is kind of, it focuses on many of the miracles of Jesus. And then the second act, Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. So you can see when you're reading through Mark, you'll see all these places where Jesus is. Jesus in Galilee, and then he's on the way to Jerusalem. He takes a weird way to get there, but he's on the way to Jerusalem. And then the third act, Jesus in Jerusalem. And 11, 1 through 16, 8, that's about uh, three-fifths of the book just takes place in one week in Jerusalem, that last section. And we see this kind of this climax, this, this crescendo to use musical terms here, this crescendo going up to chapter 15, verse 33 through 39. Uh, this great story. And what we have here, when you're reading the story, you, you, you have insiders and outsiders. And as a reader, Mark lets you in on being an insider immediately out of the gate. You understand who he is. But you'll see as you're reading the story that all these people don't understand who he is, why he's come. They, they don't quite get it. And, and, and the, uh, Mark allows us as the reader to kind of peer, uh, to, to peek behind the curtain. And so many times the people that are closest to Jesus don't get it. So let's go back to the beginning, the first verse 
of Mark. It says this, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark says a lot in a short sentence. In, in fact, again, we're being let in on the secret, the mystery, here in the beginning. In fact, let's, let's say this verse together. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark says this is just the beginning. This isn't the end. You're a part of this story. So you, you have a, a role in this story. As readers of the gospel, we're a part of the story that continues to this day. That this is good news. A term that Mark will use eight different times in the gospel. He says that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. A term that we will have to wrestle with throughout the gospel. And then he gives this title to Jesus, the Son of God. What does that mean? We have to wrestle with what that means. It has rich meaning, which we'll have to flesh out later. So in this first sentence of the prologue, we kind of get a summary and direction of where we are headed. And Mark plunges headlong into the story and invites us to hang on as he takes us on a ride. We immediately are introduced to John the Baptist, the messenger of God. And from John the Baptist, then Jesus is introduced and baptized by John in the Jordan River. And we read these words. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Again, we, we the reader, are given the inside information. Because here in Mark, he makes it a point to say that the voice from heaven speaks to who? Jesus, not the crowd. Uh, and God tells Jesus, you are the son, the beloved. And we get to kind of peek into the heavenly there. We get to see it. Can you imagine the scene, though? I, I want you to imagine being there on the banks of the Jordan River, this crowd around, John the Baptist there in his camel fur belt around his waist. And you see Jesus coming in. Can you picture it? And John the Baptist suddenly realizes who it is. And he baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. And as he's coming up, the heavens begin to rumble. And you're looking up going, what is going on? <laughs> and you're knowing you're on holy ground. And hearing that voice from heaven. The heavens being torn apart, as it says, and the spirit descending like a dove. How awesome is that? Can you imagine? How awesome is that? You know, I've been to the spot in the Jordan River where they think Jesus was baptized. It's in the country of Jordan. In fact, there are remains of five different churches around this little spot. That's why they think it's the spot where Jesus was baptized. Because the remnants of all these churches that were built around that spot. It's pretty amazing to be there and to think this was the spot. Can you believe it? Can you imagine? How cool is that? But what happens next? This incredible scene has just taken place in front of our eyes. And what happens next? And immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. The Spirit immediately drove him out to the wilderness, and he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. Our Western culture doesn't like this verse. I don't like this verse, right? Right? Do you like that verse? No. 
See, because we have allowed, all of us, myself included, we have allowed our culture, this Western culture, this United States of America, which is a the great, great, great country. We have freedoms, we have opportunities, we have blessings, and we think that if we work hard enough, we think that we are owed a blessing. We think that if we become a Christian, that life becomes easy. We think, oh, we have this mountaintop experience, and, and oh, now everything is fantastic. No, it says he was driven to the wilderness. I'll take the baptism in the Jordan for 100, God, but the other part, give that to somebody else. I don't want that. But that's what happens. You know, I get a hangnail and I'm, you know, having a hard day. Imagine being tempted by Satan. You know, the spiritual realm doesn't even, minor demons harass us. Being tempted by Satan for 40 days. We don't avoid the wilderness. We won't avoid the wilderness. See, the Bible tells us that being a follower of Jesus means that Jesus is with us in the wilderness. That Jesus knows what we go through. That life sometimes is terrible. Life is sometimes full of misery and brokenness. That life can be very, very painful. See, but Jesus has been through it. See, take, this is, this is the good news. Take heart. God is with us. He is Emmanuel. This is the good news. Not that life is easy but that we have hope in the wilderness. This is the good news, that in spite of everything that goes on, in spite of the brokenness, we still have hope. We still have life. See, in this season of Lent, we come face to face with the reality of the world. It's broken. It's full of wilderness times. Satan is out to destroy but we have hope in the midst of it. We have a Savior, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. That is the good news. Let us pray.